I want you to open your Bibles to the book of Romans. Since the week of prayer in um, September, we've been spending a lot of time talking about what it really means to embrace the body of Christ as the body of Christ. Sometimes you're, you're in moments and seasons where you sense that God is doing something. And uh, before I start talking about that, I almost forgot John and Shannon. Where are you guys? They still here? <laughs> they were supposed to come up and talk about home groups. If they left, they left. Are they still here? I know they had to head out. I want to I tell you, uh, this is why I need people to wave at me sometimes. I think they just stepped out. But I want to tell you, home groups start this week. There's Brother Clayne. He's waving at me right on. Home groups start this week, guys. So please sign up. Uh, sign up sheets are at the back. We're so excited about what God's doing in, uh, through these groups. And uh, like I said before, I don't believe it's something that we do. Like we do home groups as a church. That's a side thing we offer. It's not a side thing. It's life for us is that we need each other. And especially we've been talking about the, the, the need for the body. When you talk about the need for the body, that's got to be more than theory for you. That's got to be reality. So I want to encourage you guys, um, get involved, hook up. If you've never done that before, you just go, well, that's not my thing. Make it your thing. Uh, it's, 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 it's part of being a disciple of Jesus Christ is to encourage one another in the Lord and, and, to, and to spur each other on to love and good works. This is part of who we are. So I would encourage you to sign up at the back. They start this week. We've got uh, different days. So if you've got a day that doesn't work for you, there are different groups on different days. If you've got kids, there are certain home groups that specialize in hosting children. Uh, and we've put notes on those. Children welcome. It doesn't mean um, that if you went to Spiro and Tina's, they'd throw your kid out the door. Uh, it just means that your kids are going to have a lot more fun at a group where there's other kids and there's maybe some toys and stuff for them to play with. So we just uh, want you to know, no matter where you're at, there is a group of people that are waiting to love on you and to help each other on. So do that. Now we can get into talking about what we're going to talk about today. In Romans chapter 14, uh, we've been digging into what it means to embrace the body of Christ and need the body of Christ. We talked about that last week. It's, it's counterintuitive to some of us because we think the more we grow in Christ, the, net, the, the less we'll need other people. But the scripture actually tells us that the more we grow in Christ, the more we'll need each other. Because we grow into Christ. That we're growing from a place of self-sufficiency to Christ's sufficiency. Now, that sounds good because you go, okay, well then all I need is Jesus. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with you. However, have you considered the fact that Jesus says, this is my body? So if you say all I need is Jesus, you are saying you need these people around you because they're his body. That's the truth. Now, you, you can say, but I don't like that truth, and that's fine. But let's be honest, it's what the scripture says. It says the eye should never say to the hand, I don't need you. The ear should never say to the nose, I don't need you. And we just think it's so spiritual not to need people. It is, it is super spiritual for you to be like Jesus and you to embrace that Christ is in his body. So in Romans chapter 14, and we're going to wrap up our discussion, uh, God willing, and he's, he's welcome to change things, but as far as I know, we're going to wrap up our discussion about the, uh, the, the beauty of the body of Christ, the importance of the body of Christ, the importance of unity, of living with one heart and one soul. 
And I want to talk to you today about something very, it's a very simple thing to talk about, but it's foundational. And it's talking about growing up, growing up in the aspects where you're not just living uh, in, a, in a reality where you're saying, what's good for me? You know, children don't worry about the other kids at the table, whether they have food. Every now and then, if they notice there's an empty plate, they might say, what's wrong with this person? They might offer some of their food, but they don't go to school saying, how am I going to feed my siblings? They're not concerned about that. When they're hungry, they don't go, Mom, Dad, what if my sister is hungry? They just care that they're hungry, right? When you're a child, you care about your needs, and your needs are, need to be met. The older you grow, the more you care about the ones around you. And we're going to talk not, about, not so much about need, but we're going to talk about the fact that God is building his church, and he's using his church to do it. We believe this when it comes to healing, don't we? We believe, I know I said this before, but you know, when we say that, that Jesus wants to heal people, I believe that part of that method, it's not the only way, but a big part of the way he does that is to have one of his people lay their hands and pray on another one of his people. That that's how he heals people is through his people. Right? You see Jesus in the book of Acts. How, you know, the book of Acts begins with saying, in my first account, I, my first account, Theophilus, I talked about all that Jesus began to do in his ministry. And, and his first account was the book of Luke. That whole book of Luke is, is part one of a, of a two-part story. The second part is what Jesus continued to do. Listen, if he's saying from birth to resurrection, that's the beginning of Jesus' ministry then you have to know that that's not the end of Jesus' ministry. It's not even the middle of Jesus' ministry. He said Jesus' birth, death, resurrection, that whole story was just the beginning. The continuation of Jesus' ministry is through his church. Right? That's really cool. So when you say, does Jesus, in the book of Acts, is Jesus still healing people? Somebody might say, well, no, Jesus ascended. And I would say, of course he is. That's why Peter says... You know, I, and I realize the book of Acts uh, will use language like, uh, you know, it, it'll use language by saying that these guys healed this man, Paul healed this man. But in reality, we know it's Jesus that healed them. It's God that healed them through that person, right? So Peter says when he's questioned, by what authority did you heal this person? What an amazing question. What an amazing question. We're not going to argue with you that a crippled guy can walk now because we can't argue that fact. We want to know who gave you the authority. I don't know if that would come up today. I don't know if that would come up today. There's a man who's never been able to walk. He can walk now, but I have a problem with how you did it. Right? I have a theological issue with how you did it. I mean, maybe. I don't think that, that, that at least the, the courts wouldn't take that case. But so this man, he's crippled, he begins to walk, and they question him. The religious authorities question him, and they say, by whose authority did you do this? And Peter says, it's, and one of the things he says, and he's, this is really when he's talking to the crowds, he says, it's not by our personal piety, or my personal holiness, or my personal spiritual gifts, it's not because of me that this man is healed, it's because of the name of Jesus that he walks before you today. Now, what does that mean? It's, he's not saying it's because we use the name of Jesus like a spell. Right? To do something in the name of Jesus means you're doing it on behalf of Jesus. 
If you built a house in my name, you're doing it for me because I commissioned you to do it and I'm paying the bill. If you go to home hardware and get me some supplies and you use my card in my name, you're doing it for me because I sent you to do it. So when we're talking about somebody being healed in the name of Jesus, it's not Peter's idea. It's not John's idea. It's God's idea. But Jesus is healing people and casting evil spirits out and saving people all throughout that book. But not once. Not once do you see Jesus show up and, and show up at one of Paul's crusades. He probably wouldn't have called it a crusade. Show up at one of Paul's sermons and say, out of the way, Paul, it's my turn. You're, you're okay, but you're, you're farm league. Your farm team, the pro is here. All right, this crowd needs a little bit more. They, you're, you were fine in Ephesus. You did all right. This crowd needs me. I'm going to step up. Nowhere does Jesus say, this is, this is so big of a task, I've got to do this. You guys step out of the way. He appears every now and then to his people to, to assure them. He appears to Paul and says, you know, you'll be fine. You know, you're, you're going to be all right. He appears to Paul and gives them revelation. But at no point does he stand up and say, I'm going to preach the gospel today. You guys step out of the way. At no point does he say, I'm going to heal people today. You guys step out of the way. At every point, he uses people to do his work. So if we say Jesus is building his church, then is it too far of a stretch to believe that he's going to do that through us? It's his work. It's his power. He's going to use us to do it. So we talked a couple weeks ago about this wonderful word that pops up throughout my translation of the Bible, which is edification. And we don't use that word a lot in regular English language. People that do, you kind of look down on them like, oh, who be smarty pants? Please, for my edification, would you let me know? You know, you, you don't really, you don't talk that way. But edification is a great word because it means building up. And the reason we use it in, uh, when we do use it, it's often, for, you know, we say, for, would you say this for my edification? What you're saying is, your words need to build something. We need you to build something with your words. We need you to build up on a foundation that's already there. I want you to turn to Romans 14 because uh, it's important that we see that, that we could build or we could tear down. And uh, I believe God's called you to be the kind of people that he can use that are thinking about something just a little bit beyond here's what I feel like or here's what I need. Romans 14 starts out with, you know, ideas of... Your conscience, like, much like the book of 1 Corinthians, you're dealing with Jews and you're dealing with Gentiles, and they're coming together in Christ, and they have very different ideas of what that looks like um, as far as what can we eat and, and what can we drink. And then there's another issue that pops up, and it's the fact that when you come out of a pagan society, there's a lot of things in regular life that are soaked in paganism. When you come out of an idolatrous society that worships false gods, everything's about that. So when they would have, when someone would die, there's parts of uh, how they burned that person or how they treated that person that has to do with the gods they worship. When they went to work, there were things that had to do with patron gods or uh, you know, matron goddesses over their, over their trade guilds. And, and, and they, they had events like, you know, uh, they would have feasts, banquets at temples, 
go banquets to temples. And the whole point of the banquet was to honor the god or the goddess of that temple. And so they would offer this food to the goddess or god and they'd eat it together. And that was a big part of their culture. Now the Christians stopped going to those banquets, obviously. Right? You can't go to that banquet anymore. Even if you were to say, but if I go to the banquet, I'm just going to go witness to people. The, Paul draws a line. He goes, no, no, we do not eat we do not eat idol food. <laughs> we're not going to worship. We're not going to uh, sit at the table of the Lord and the table of idols. He said, we got to draw a line. That was a clear line. We don't go to the idol banquets, all right? I don't go to Zeus's banquet. I don't go to Athena's banquet. I don't go to any of these banquets because they're idolatrous. But then there's some gray lines. Here's a gray line. When you went to the market, you never knew when you bought meat if that was meat that had been previously sacrificed to an idol. So you had a group of Christians that said, we can't eat any meat if it was bought in the market because you don't know what someone prayed over that meat. I don't want that meat in my house. I don't want that idol food in my house. I don't want that supernatural spiritual stuff in my house if it's not from God. Because last time we ate it, I got sick. My kids started having weird dreams. You know, they'll, they'll, they'll say things like this. Then you had another group of Christians saying, guys, we don't know that it was offered to idols. But listen, we pray over it. And we believe that it's sanctified. And we believe that when the, by the word and prayer, this is clean. It came from an animal that God made. So it's clean. It's holy. We can eat it. And the problem is, is that when they try to eat together, this is a fight. Right? Because the, the people that don't eat meat think that you're compromising for eating meat. And the people that do eat meat say, yeah, you're, you are so uh, spiritually weak that you can't believe you don't have enough faith for this meat to be sanctified. You're a spiritual wimp. How do we eat together? Here's what Paul says in Romans chapter 14. He says, he talks about things like Sabbath, Certain people were honoring the Sabbath. Certain people were treating every day like the Sabbath. And they said, you know, one guy regards one day as holy. One, day regard, one guy regards every day as holy. Both of them need to do what they're doing for the Lord. He says in verse 5, one person regards one day above another. Another regards every day alike. Each person must be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it for the Lord. He who eats does so for the Lord, for he gives thanks to God. And he who doesn't eat, for the Lord he doesn't eat and gives thanks to God. For not one of us lives for himself, and not one of, them, one of us dies for himself. That's a big, big statement. The world will tell you the most important thing in life is your happiness. But, but your happiness is based on a lot of fleeting things that will never last. God will tell you the most important thing in your life is that you come back to the original purpose that you were created for. And in that purpose, you will have joy. In that purpose, you will have satisfaction in him. But that purpose is not about your temporary happiness. That purpose is all wrapped up in who you are in him. You were made to glorify him. You were made in his likeness. You were made to be his, uh, uh, you know, uh, work in his behalf. Adam was made to be like the creator in the garden. He was made to, to husband and, 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 and treat that garden, take care of it. And he failed at his task. But when we come back to the reason we were created, we were created to glorify God. We were created for relationship with God. We were created to fill the earth with his glory. We were created for all these things. When we come back to that, you'll find real joy. 
That's where real joy is. That's why Jesus was anointed with the oil of gladness above everybody else. And he's the guy that says, I never do what I want to do. He says, not one of us lives for himself. Not one of us dies for himself. I know some of us are saying, hey, I, I live for other people all my life. At least let me die on my own terms. Are you seriously going to take my death away from me? Well, thank God there's no, no real death for us anymore, but simply a passing to the next life. He says this in verse 8. For if we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. But you, why do you judge your brother? Or you again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? Why does he say it twice? Because he's talking to both groups. Hey, you over there that thinks you're so spiritual, you can't eat that meat. Why are you judging your brother? Hey, you over there who says, I eat meat because I have faith. They must not have faith because they can't eat it. Why do you treat your brother with contempt? He says, for we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. So it's not your job to judge their decision. It's your job to say, am I living for the Lord right now? Verse 11 says, for it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me. Every tongue will give praise to God. So then each one of us will give an account of himself to God. That's good news. That's good news. That means they don't have to always give an account to you. God will take care of that. Do you know a parable that changed my life? I mean, I would like to say they all changed my life, but I remember the moment this changed my life. There was a parable about the tares and the wheat. Do you guys know this parable? It's, it's a parable where Jesus says that, that um, somebody had a crop, you know, and he's, 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 he's sowing all this, he's planting all this grain. And he says, it come, it, it, while, it's, while that's planting, in the middle of the night, the enemy comes and he sows weeds and tares amongst the wheat to wreck the crop. But one of the things he says is, is that, it, he goes, it's not your job to try to pull up all the fakes, it's not your job to pull up all the people that aren't sincere. He says, God will take care of that. His angels will take care of that at the end of the day. He says, because the problem is, if you do that, you'll end up yanking up good crops with the bad. Now, maybe you've never done this. But you ever felt like, have you ever known someone? Let's just say that so you can still be holy and you can agree with me. Have you ever known someone, maybe you, that that thought it was your job to ferret out the fakes, ferret out the people that aren't really living for the Lord. You look around in your holiness, and you look at the people that are just here to be seen. You know what? I bet if there was persecution, they wouldn't be here. You look around, and you're saying, oh, they're, they're fake, they're fake, they're fake. Oh, there's just a remnant in this church. There's just a remnant of people that are serving the Lord. The rest of you, you're dying, and you don't even know you're dying. <laughs> fakes, 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 fakes. And you think it's your job to find them and root them out of the body because you need to purify the body. There's a fake in your home group. You found them. You know what? Our home group would go further. We'd have more revelation. We'd hear from the Lord. We would be blessed if that person would stay home. They're dragging us all down with their carnality. And if I, if I had my way, maybe you look at me and you go, 
pastor's a wimp because if I was up there, I'd find him and I'd kick him all out of the church. <laughs> Maybe I am. <laughs> Believe me, we all are tempted sometimes with saying, let's find the fakes and let's just be the elite force. But here's the problem. In doing so, you're going to yank up some good crops that haven't really reached maturity yet. You're going to yank up some folks that aren't fake. They're not evil-hearted. They're not uh, a, a wolf in sheep's clothing. They're just a believer that hadn't grown up yet. And in your ambition to purify the church, you just killed something that Jesus started. Right? As they came in, and they came in that back door, freaked out because we're all weird. We're singing songs, and they don't know what those songs mean. We're lifting our hands, and they're going, why are people lifting their hands? What are you reaching for? I don't, is this a thing? Do I do this? Am I supposed to do this? And you find out that there's areas of their life that they haven't gotten right with God. You're going to fix them. Well, you know what Jesus said? Well, it was prophesied about Jesus that a, a bruised reed he would not break. That a smoldering wick he would not put out. Jesus, had, he, he didn't have a problem with confronting the fakers. He did not have a problem, just like John the Baptist, didn't have a problem confronting the hypocrites, but he also knew when was the time to confront somebody who's just a little early in their growth. He says, if you make it your mission to ferret them out, you're going to wreck something that God's done. Now listen, listen to this. He says, each one of us will give an account of himself to God. Verse 13 says this, therefore let us not judge one another anymore, but rather determine this. Okay, so what do you do with the energy you had to judge people? Rather do this. Do you know, almost every time in these letters that Paul writes, and, and you see it through Peter's letters and, and John's as well, that often when there's a command not to do something, there's an alternative command, do this instead. Let the one who steals, steal no longer, but rather let them work with their hands so they'll have something to share with the one who has need. God will so often not just tell you not to do something, he'll tell you what to do. So he says, stop judging each other, but rather do this. Rather determine this, not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in a brother's way. Now let me tell you something. In Paul's language and Paul's time, he obviously used the term brother uh, because often when you're just talking about a neutral topic, you'd use the masculine. Just like we used to say, if you didn't know the gender of the baby, you'd say it was a he, even if you didn't know it was a he or a she. I know language has changed now. So women, don't think you're excluded from this just because we keep saying brother. I, I can go through the whole sermon and add sister if you want, or you can just agree that we know it means brothers and sisters. So it says, don't. Determine this. Don't put an obstacle or a stumbling block in a brother's way. Verse 14. I know and am convinced in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. But to him who thinks anything to be unclean, to him it's unclean. Now he's talking about the meat now. Paul's not going to go to an idol feast. He's not going to go to a banquet in a, in a false god's temple. But when he eats food out of the market, he goes, well, let me just tell you, nothing is unclean in itself. But if I'm going to a brother or sister's house and their conscience is hurting when they eat that meat, it's unclean to them. 
Verse 15. For if because of food your brother or sister is hurt, you are no longer walking according to love. Don't destroy with your food him for whom Christ died. Wow. Now, now when he puts it that way, it sounds downright silly that you're making a big deal about food. But do you realize food was like the big issue in that day? One of the big issues it was the issue that Paul had to confront Peter with right in front of everybody. He had to confront him to his face and say, look, man, you don't eat with these people anymore. You used to, now you don't. You're the guy on the roof that God gave three visions to that says, eat this stuff. Eat with these people. Go to their house. And now you won't eat with Gentiles because they're not kosher. So food is a big issue to these guys. Now let me tell you something. Here's, the brilliant, here's what you got to do in today's age. If food is not your big issue, you need to figure out what is. Because the same principle applies. Right? Well, you can sit here and just say, well, thank God that's not an issue for us anymore. I don't know why you'd sound like my relatives, but. <laughs> well, thank God that's not an issue for us anymore. Um, <laughs> if because of food your brother is hurt, you're not walking according to love. How many times do we make a decision based on what we think is right and what we think is wrong when the greatest factor should be, do you love that person? Well, that person believes that all movies are evil. I happen to believe some movies are good. So I don't go over to their house and they don't come over to mine because I want to watch a movie. They don't. Listen, if it's a problem for them, if they believe movies are wrong, if they believe Christians shouldn't watch movies, just don't watch a movie around them. And when you get around them, don't talk about your favorite movie all the time. <laughs> and vice versa. They're watching a movie at their house. Now listen, there's all movies we, none of us should watch. I think we are going to agree on that, hey? I don't want you to just be like, oh, I can just, anything? That's all fine? Obviously, it's not all fine. But let's just say, <laughs> hey, I've been, I've been in church long enough. I know where the lines are. I know that these are lines. And we tend to say, listen, here's some things that, that, that I hear. When someone says, um, when someone gets mad that we've drawn a line that they didn't draw, they'll say things like, well, you think I'm going to just go to hell because I went to see a movie like that? I never said they were going to hell. I never drew the line there. But they're offended that I'm not offended. They're offended that, that, that I drew a line at a different place. I remember as a teenager, there were friends of mine that drew certain lines that I thought were too far. You're too legalistic. You're too religious. Relax. And I remember the Lord said to me, and I, I heard it clearly, never, even if you think their standard is wrong, never work to lower someone else's standard. Never work to lower someone else's standard because you never know. God may bring you up to that place at some point. And even if he doesn't, it may not be a problem for you, but if it's a problem for them, you've caused them to sin. Do you realize whatsoever is not of faith is sin? Me disobeying God is sin. Me going against my conscience is sin. So even if it's not a problem for you, if you made them go against something they believed, you made them violate that part in them that says, I want to do what's right. You made them disobey what they believe is the voice of God. You've caused them to, hurt, to sin. You've hurt them. 
And he says, we're not walking according to love. Don't destroy with your food the one whom Christ died for. Is it worth it for that, that bit of food? Is it worth it? Is that bacon that good that you would wreck someone's life for it? Right? So today, you know, uh, you've got people all across the body of Christ. In Lloydminster, in uh, America, all over the world, there, there's issues like, well, what about drinking? What about smoking? What about blah, blah, blah? You know, and we all have our different lines and, and people draw them in certain places. You've got to say, is it worth it? Is it worth it? What you do with, you know, in your time, with your family, what you do, that's, you've got you've to judge what's right before God. But when you're at somebody's house or when you're talking to someone that struggles with one of these things, listen, draw the line and say, it's not worth it for me to tear them down. It's not worth it for me to tear them down. It's not worth it for me to destroy that person so I can feel a little better about myself. And it says this, I know, he says, oh, I'm sorry, therefore, don't let what is good what is for you a good thing be spoken of as evil? For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who in this way serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. Listen to this. The one who serves Christ in this way. When I say we should all serve Christ, what do you think of? What are the images that pop in your head? Maybe it's going out and feeding the homeless. Maybe serving Christ is coming and serving at church. Maybe it's, maybe it's you know, preaching or, or maybe it's singing or maybe it's praying or maybe it's encouraging. What if sometimes serving Christ means I'm just putting someone else's needs before my own? He says, for the one in this way who serves Christ. So this is one of the ways we serve Christ. I'm not going to cause you to stumble. I'm not going to cause you to trip over something that doesn't trip me up. It's not an issue for me, but if it's an issue for you, it's not worth me having my little fun to destroy you. See, I, I wish we'd think about this a little bit more. And I know we are. But I've been thinking about how God made us royalty. See, that was the cool thing about uh, being son and daughter of the king is you've been now made royalty. And we're training for, for ruling. The Bible says we're going to rule and reign with him forever. This is training for that. He's teaching us how to be kings and queens. He's teaching us how to uh, uh, rule and reign. And you know what I used to think when I was a kid? You know what I used to think when I thought of a king? A king gets whatever he wants. Because, you know, I was a, kid, I was a child, like I was born in the 80s, but, you know, I grew up with the kids' movies of the 90s. You know the kids' movie of the 90s? There were so many movies where someone just stumbles on a bunch of money and then they do whatever they want. Remember Blank Check? No, nobody? It wasn't, it wasn't Oscar winning. Um, as a kid, he's riding his bike. A mobster hits his bike. He, the gangster's in a hurry, so he gives him a blank check, like that would happen. And he says, here, just pay for your bike. And the kid goes, $1 million, and then hands it in. Now he has a $1 million, and he builds like a roller coaster in his backyard and all this stuff. That was my idea of being a king means I will have everything I want, and I will have everybody working for me. But you look at what God's idea of a king is. The king serves the people. Jesus came, 
Not born in a king's palace, but in a, a poor stable. He was, he was born in, 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 in a way that, that didn't announce majesty other than to the people that were looking for it, like the, like the Magi. They were looking for him. The shepherds were, were, were visited by angels, but he, wasn't, he didn't show up in an obvious place. Yet you see him walking around. He says things like this. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. He showed us that this is what a king does. A king serves the people. A king, a king has all the rights in the world to be honored and to be magnified and to be glorified. And yet he lays his life down for the people. And maybe true royalty means I don't always get what I want. But I'm, I'm, I'm going to lay my life down for the people God put around me. He says this. The one who serves Christ in this way is acceptable to God and approved by men. That's how we serve God. So then we pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. When's the last time you chased down something that would build your friends up? The word pursue is a powerful word. It's translated in other places as hunting down, persecuting even. We pursue, we're, we're seeking, we're going after the things that'll make for peace and the building up of one another. How passionate are you to be a part of what God's building? How important is that to you? How, how big of a part does it play in your thought process? I'm put here to build the church. I'm put here to build his people. I'm put here to build disciples. I'm not, they're not my disciples. They're Christ's disciples. But I play a role in building them up. How big is that to you? How important is that to you? I think we should be using our time, using our breath, using our life, using our resources, using our blood, sweat, and tears to say, I, I've got something to build here. God is working, and I want to be part of that work. God is working, so I'm picking up my hammer. God is working, so I'm picking up my nails. There's a work being done, and I play a role in it. I'm going to chase down the things which make for peace. I'm going to chase them down. I'm going to hunt them down. I'm going to chase down the things which make for building up the body. He says this, don't tear down the work of God for the sake of food. So I want us to do a little fill in the blanks here, okay? He says, don't tear down the work of God for the sake of food. I think if you would apply that standard to everything in your life, don't tear down the work of God for the sake of blank. What in your life is worth tearing down what God's building? Is there anything? Don't tear down the work of God for the sake of a good conversation. Don't tear down the work of God for the sake of, of you doing what you feel like. Don't tear down the work of God for the sake of you getting something off your chest. Don't tear down the work of God for the sake of feeling a bit better about yourself. Don't tear down the work of God for the sake of entertainment. Don't take, tear down the work of God for the, for the sake of your own self-righteousness. Is there anything worth tearing down the work of God? I, I wonder if we would do everything with this formula in mind. What am I going to do for the sake of Jesus, for the sake of his church, for the sake of what he's building? Because if we flip that statement around, we would be able to say this, I'm going to lay my life down 
for the sake of the one that Jesus died for. I'm going to give everything for the sake of the gospel. You see Paul talk like this. He says, I do everything. Everything in my life is for the sake of the gospel. There's not one thing I do that, that's not for that purpose. He says, I will do anything. I'll become a Greek when I'm with the Greeks. I'll become a Jew when I'm with the Jews. I will do anything for the sake of the gospel so that by any means I may win some. What a powerful statement. He says, don't tear down the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are clean, but they're evil for the man who eats and gives offense. There are things in your life that are okay for you, but they're not okay for someone else. So he says, all of a sudden, it became a problem when you became a problem for someone else. And this is all about walking in love. It's not good to eat meat or to drink wine or do anything by which your brother stumbles. The faith which you have, have as your own conviction before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. You know what he's saying? Saying if you're past something, if God has given you a green light on something, now there's very clear things that the scripture says don't do. And I don't care if you come to me and say, but Jesus said it's okay. It's not okay. Right? You come to me and say, um, Jesus said that it's all of a sudden okay for me to murder my, my neighbor because they're loud in the middle of the night. They, they mow their lawn at 1 a.m. Who mows their lawn at 1 a.m.? They have parties. Their kids are brats. And so the Bible says do not murder, but, I, but the Lord has told me it's okay. You can never convince me of that. You come and you say, my wife and I, my wife and I have prayed together. We heard the word of the Lord that we should have an open marriage and just see other people, but we're still going to be married, but we'll see each other. You know, no. No, you're not going to do that. Oh, but the Lord said, no, the Lord did not say that. There are clear lines in Scripture that you're not going to cross. You're not going to say, don't judge me. You just preached about not judging. Don't judge me. There are times we need to judge ourselves by the Word of God. There are other areas where you might say, you know what? That's a gray area. Listen, I, I worked at a Christian bookstore. There is some really good music in every genre. Right? Every genre, there's people like, it, it's kind of weird when you hear someone say, you know, like quoting scripture in this voice. But, you know, it's there. <laughs> right? Yeah, it's just this other born again, metalheads, like, Jesus! <laughs> he died for me. I will live for him. Right? Yeah, praise the Lord. <laughs> I, I got to tell you a quick story. Quick story. Um, I, when I was a teenager, I got into kind of like Christian pop punk, which might seem weird to you. Like, what is a Christian punk? I'm not even sure, but you know, <laughs> it's what I thought I was, so that's fine. Spiky hair, all that good stuff. Um, and so I bought this sampler. Uh, I bought this sampler from this record company that specialized in that. And, and, and then what I didn't know is that on that sampler was some like really heavy stuff. So. I mean, I was just a little, nice little church kid. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm young. I'm really young, so I haven't really started to buy a lot of my own music. I'm still, like, I'm still, like, bringing the CD to my parents. Can I get this, you know? And uh, I put that CD in. I'm rocking out in my bedroom. And then it went to the next song. And it was like this. And I sprinted. I dove for the stereo. I had it cranked. I knew my parents were in the house. I dove for the stereo. I remember one time I was listening to something, and my dad comes by, and he has a smirk on his face. 
And I'm like, oh, I'm in trouble. I'm in trouble. But he was smirking. He wasn't mad. He was smirking. And he goes, he just goes, the wrath of God is my strength. <laughs> <laughs> so that, uh, funny. Nice one, Dad. I get your point. So then I, I worked at a store where we sold music of all sorts, right? And what you found out was that there would be some people that this was like, this is what, they're getting hope from this. Like they're saying like, you know, I, I was in a dark place and this brought me out. These words brought me out. It was music I liked. And so, but then you had other people that were coming in that said, I came out of that lifestyle. And when I hear music like that, it brings me right back to that place. And, it, and it's hard for me. I don't want to do that. Do you know that's a very real concern? They'll say, you know, that's the world I came out of. I don't want to hear that anymore. In fact, it causes me, it brings up those old memories. It brings up those old feelings. I, I don't want to go back to that place. So what do you do? You say, okay, well, I'm not going to hurt. Obviously, that's not something that brother wants in his life. So I'm not going to play that music around him. I'm not going to, like, try to get him hooked. And you know what the temptation is? We feel guilty when someone says that because we feel like they're judging our choices. Oh, so you're saying I shouldn't be listening to it? Then what do we do? We get defensive. Well, you don't have enough faith. Well, well you, you know what? You're just legalistic. You're stuck in religion. Maybe they're doing what God led them to do. So just chill out and say, all right, praise the Lord. Awesome. Can we still be friends? Can we still build each other up? Is it possible that that could be wrong for one person and right for another? Is it possible that that might be right at one stage of your life and wrong at another, or vice versa? Is it possible that, that God brings us to places of growth where at one point in your life you're good with that and another you're not, or at one point in your life early in your walk that wasn't okay, but now this is good? You know, it's all right if we say there are some areas where the scripture is not clear that we need to be uh, we need to do whatever we do, whatever we eat, whatever we listen to, whatever we say, needs to be before the Lord. It needs to be for him. And it needs to be in love. The faith which you have, have as your own conviction before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. So he says, listen, if it's an area that the scripture does not say is wrong, and you believe that, you know what, I, I can eat this in faith, then you're blessed, blessed, wonderful, praise the Lord. Then he goes on and says this. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats, because his eating is not from faith, and whatever is not from faith is sin. The next verse says, Now we who are strong ought to bear the weaknesses of those without strength and not just please ourselves. Each of us is to please his neighbor for his good, to his edification or building up. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. I just want you to end with that thought. Even Christ didn't please himself. If anybody had a right to please himself, it was Jesus. But he didn't. What if we went through life saying, what is this for? What's the purpose behind this? What are the most valuable things in life? And let me do a cost-benefit analysis. Let me, let me build a ratio of saying, is it worth this? Is it worth tearing down something valuable for something that's here today and gone tomorrow? Is it worth me destroying their faith for something that makes me feel better for a day? 
You see, when you grow up, you don't care about you anymore. You care about others. He has the same sort of conversation in 1 Corinthians 10. Is it okay to eat meat that's bought in the market, might have been sacrificed to idols? He says, you know, all things are sanctified by the word and prayer, but if someone doesn't do it, don't eat it with them. And don't get at the table going, mm, 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 that steak was delicious. Lay off, right? Because you're causing them to stumble. And he says this, and I love this, because ultimately at the end of the day, we're part of one another. At the end of the day, we're building up the body of Christ. At the end of the day, here's what it looks like to be mature. You look around and say, how can I build my brothers up? How can I build my sisters up? How can I help them in their walk? I'm not here to please me. I'm here to please God. And I'm here even to help them to please them. What if a group of people around us, what if this church began to approach every decision, every major move, every way, every, every conversation with this idea, with this idea that there are valuable things that God is building, and we're not going to tear them down. We're going to build them up. What if we approached everything with this statement? This is, this is what I'm getting at. He says this in 1 Corinthians 10. All things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. All things are permissible, but not all things build up or edify. See, we're still wondering what's, what's lawful. That's, that's the Old Testament way of living. But now we're in new covenant. Now the question isn't what's lawful. The question is what's profitable. What's good? What's perfect? What's worthy of praise? What's of good reputation? What, what can I think on that, that, that God has breathed onto? What's going to help somebody? What's going to bless somebody? What's going to build them up in their walk? See, I don't need to keep asking, where's the line and how can I hug it? I'm going to ask myself, what is profitable for me? What's profitable for the kingdom? And what's profitable for my brothers and sisters? Because at the end of the day, God called me to be part of his building. He called me to pick up a hammer and says, build with me. He called me to pick up a nail. He called me to pick up a saw. He called me to pick up tools and say, you're part of my process. Let's get building together. It's going to come up over and over and over again. There are things you wish you could say. There are things you wish you could do. And here's the question. Stop asking, can I do this? And start asking, should I do this? Stop asking, am I allowed? And start asking, is this profitable for the kingdom of God? Paul said later to Timothy, he says, stop having silly arguments about dumb little issues. That's my paraphrase. That's Jonathan Bounce translation. Because now we call paraphrases translations, so that's what we do. Um, he says, stop having arguments about genealogies. Right? Now, that was the Jewish pet project. You know, we have our own today, and I could start naming them. And some of you follow those YouTube channels because they're always on YouTube and they're always on Facebook, right? These dumb little issues we get in arguments about. Well, what if, well, where, where exactly is Jesus going to set his foot when he comes back? I believe it's 100 feet to the left of this on the Mount of Olives. And you believe, you know, okay, well, does it matter? Because he's coming back. My ancestors' tombstones are facing east so that they can see Jesus as soon as he comes. Your ancestors are facing west. They're going to miss the rapture. <laughs> right? 
And we would make all these little dumb arguments. <laughs> Stupid little arguments. And he goes, he goes, let's avoid these dumb little speculations, which do nothing but breed more questions and do nothing to further the administration of God, which is by faith. You know what he's saying? Don't have stupid little arguments that don't, put, don't move the ball down the field. There's no point to it. Is it furthering the kingdom? No, then it's not worth an argument. On post-trib, on mid-trib, on pan-trib, you know, whatever you are, do we believe no matter what happens, we're going to hold on to faith? Do we believe that Jesus is coming again? Do you believe that um, if he's coming again, this is how I should live right now? Yeah, okay, all right. We can have this discussion, but what's pushing the kingdom forward? What's moving the administration, or literally in the original language, the economy of God forward? And he goes, you know what? The goal of our instruction, he says right after this, the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a sincere faith. See, at the end of the day, what's going to matter is what's done in love. What's going to matter is what produces love. What's going to matter is the stuff you build on his foundation. And his foundation is his name and love. And if you're not building on that, there's no point to what you're doing. And maybe you think you're on a holy war. You're on your own Christian jihad. But we need to get to the place where we're saying, God, what are you building? And can I build with you? And I want to tell you, God's not building just a movement. He's not just building an organization. He's not just building a, a, a church like a, 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 a church that says we're the word church or we're the PAOC or, or we're the Baptists. What he's building is a group of people that make the church. So if you want to build the church, start by building the person God put you in lunch with. Start by building the person in your home group. Start by building that person that shares the bedroom with you. Start by, and that better be your spouse. And start... <laughs> <laughs> Let me just make that clear, all right? <laughs> See, that's a hard line I'm going to draw. Don't come at me with any gray areas there. Start by building what God says he's building because that's where the work of God is. And where the work of God is, that's where the grace of God is. Where the grace of God is, that's where the power of God is. And where the power of God is, that's where there's miracles. That's where there's lives changed. That's where there's resurrection. You want to see, you say, I want to be anointed. I want to be used by God. Then get on board with what God's doing. Find his mission and say, how can I build that mission? How can I be part of that mission? And we so often see the mission in a big picture, we forget that the mission begins in a small micro level with the person God put right across from you. How can I build their faith? How can I build their love? How can I build their hope? And is it worth tearing it down for these little things? When I turn my eyes upon Jesus, all these other things are dim. All these other things are small. All these other things are temporary. Hey, you know what? I can eat vegan for a day. For a day. <laughs> I can eat vegan for a day if that's, what, if that's what helps my brother. You know? I could put pineapples on a pizza if it would help you. Because <laughs> you do all sorts of things for the sake of the kingdom. Like Paul said, I do all things. Not just church things. Not just spiritual things, because everything is spiritual. I do all things for the sake of the gospel. What did Paul say there? He said, whoever lives, lives for the Lord. Whoever dies for the Lord. He says, if we eat or drink, we're, we're drinking and eating for the Lord. What if you did everything in your life for the Lord? 
And you say, well, I already do that. Well, consider this. Doing it for the Lord often means doing it for your brother and sister. See Jesus in them. And if I could just close out this series with that statement, all of this could be summed up in this. The best way for us to move this ball down the field, the best way for us to really live this out is for us to start seeing Jesus in the people around us and treating, saying, if I'm doing this for him, I'm doing it for the Lord. If I'm doing it for her, I'm doing it for the Lord. If I'm serving them, I'm serving the Lord. If I'm loving them, I'm loving Jesus. If we would start by doing that, all of these things would come into perspective. And Jesus will someday talk to you and he'll say, you fed me when I was hungry. You clothed me when I was naked. You visited me when I was in prison. You encouraged me when I was weak. And you say, Lord, you've never been weak. He said, yeah, but my body was. Lord, you've never been naked. He said, yes, I was. And you clothed me. Lord, you've never been in prison. He said, yes, I was. And when you visited that brother, you visited me. Let's see Jesus in his body. Let's see Jesus in his body again. Let's love Jesus by loving his people. Let's love Jesus by loving his bride. Let's love Jesus by loving one another. That's serving one another in the name of Christ. So many times we'll end, because I believe that every word, it helps to have a point of action. Sometimes that's you coming up and we are praying for you. Sometimes that's praying for one another. Sometimes it's coming to the altar and coming before the Lord and making things right. Today, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take communion together. And I want it to be a holy moment. Every time we take communion, it's holy. I want us to take this. When we say, this is my body, you know, the scripture says in one of the letters to the Corinthians that one of the wrong ways to take communion in the Lord's table is to wrongly discern the body of Christ. In context, what they were doing was they were making divisions based on who had a lot and who didn't have a lot. They were looking out for themselves and their own appetites. They weren't taking care of each other. And he said, communion's done you no good. In fact, it's, it's, you, you're, you're eating and drinking judgment onto yourself because you're, you're not honoring the body. So let's honor the body of Christ as we fellowship with Christ. Amen. Amen. I'd like us all to stand together.